2: Hey, everyone, before we get into today's podcast, we have a live in-person Naughty and Nice Tarot show coming up. You can buy your tickets from the Anne and Renata webpage at annandrenata.com And the end is spelled A-N-D, not a symbol. See you there. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. harrowing ghostly sightings, the lingering smell of decaying flesh and a history to create your worst nightmare. The Beechworth Lunatic Asylum has the grisly reputation of one of the most haunted sites in Australia. Patients in the hellish
3: psychiatric institution in the 1800s were submitted to gruelling treatment, including restraint bags, strapped chairs
2: and the soul-destroying isolation cages. And as creepy as the words of lunatic and asylum stand for, what's even creepier is what happened after the death of these patients.
3: Join us for this week's episode as we look at Australia's Beechworth Asylum. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And welcome to this week's episode of True Hauntings.
0: evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings.
2: Well, don't we have some announcements this week? Oh, yes, we do. And I'm sure by now our tarot show has gone up live to sell tickets to. So we're doing the Naughty and Nice Tarot Show. What does that involve, Renata?
3: Oh, well, that means listening to us for about an hour. And a bit, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But also enjoying good food And great company. And we're doing it at the Queen at Brankston. Yes.
2: And our first show is the 11th of April, I believe. Mm -hmm. Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. So you get an entree, a main course, and listening to our drivel. Mm -hmm. How awesome is that? But no, Renata's going to read the tarot cards. I'm going to be reading the naughty cards. Mm -hmm. And between us, we hope we'll get a few giggles and maybe even some insight. Into what's going on in your life and the future. Mm. Just let me say, I'm not the gifted one in that area. Renata is. But we've also got something else new coming up. Mm -hmm. A a new segment on YouTube that is going up. A whole series. And this is the first time we've said it out loud in front of anyone. It's called Ghost Hunters React. And I have to
3: say it is nothing
2: at all like I have ever done (laughs) So we get to have a look at clips from movies, paranormal TV shows, you know, all the good horror ones from all decades, Mm -hmm. and then we have to look at it through the eyes of paranormal investigators, a bit like what we do for True Hauntings, and say how we feel about it and react to it. And let me tell you, there's been some very cringeworthy ones so far.
3: (laughs) There have, especially there's one particular one that seems embedded in my yes, mind. I know what it see, is. You'll see a, a few you'll be episodes able to tell. down. You'll yes. be able to
2: tell because we think, I think we climbed the lounges when we saw it. <laughs> but, yes, you need to see this on YouTube. That's the only place you will find these. So look for Anne and Renata, and the end in the middle is spelled A-N-D, Anne and Renata, on YouTube. Subscribe, hit that big red button, and then make sure that you hit the notifications, so you can see when the new ones come out. I think they're putting them out once a week.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and in between time, we've got some filming coming up. We have loads of research that we're doing, keeping us up till four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And just basically busy 24-7.
2: It's awesome. It is freaking wonderful because this is our love job as well. It is. All right, let's get into this week, which we're back in Australia mm-hmm. with Beechworth Asylum. Since my relocation to Kelly Country in Victoria, I have made several excursions to the historical town of Beechworth, seeking out yarns of Ned Kelly. It was on such an excursion and after several ales that I found for some unknown reason the need to visit the local courthouse yet again. My name is Alan Cretchton, roving reporter for Iron Outlaw. Hoping this would impress him and my entrance fee be wavered, I was confronted with a blank look and an outstretched hand waiting for my $5.50. I paid the fee and went inside. I wandered the rooms and cells of the courthouse for a good hour, not because there were items I'd missed on my many previous visits, but simply to get my $5.50 worth from that miserable bugger on the front desk. I intended to ignore this bearded fellow upon leaving, but was stopped abruptly in my steps. Have you seen James Kelly's signature up at the Lunatic Asylum here in Beechworth? He remarked. It's at the May Days Hill Asylum up at La Trobe. You might be interested in citing the signature of James Kelly that has been written by his hand in the afterlife on a window pane up in the asylum. Jim Kelly, I replied sharply. What on earth would Ned's brother be doing up at a bloody asylum? Jim Kelly was as sane as I am. Not that Jim, he said, shaking his head. His Uncle James, you know, the bloke that burnt down his sister-in-law's home. He continued to tell me how James Kelly had helped build this asylum while serving the 15 years for his moment of weakness and that all had been so much for James he ended up as an inmate in the very asylum he was building. How do I find my way to this asylum, my good fellow? He handed me a brochure and told me I needed to partake in some ghost tour that visited this so-called haunted place under the chilled cloak of night. Ghosts? Are you kidding me? "'I had never quite been the same since seeing the bloody Exorcist movie "'where Linda Blair's head does a 360 on her shoulders. "'My night bunny lamp has remained on ever since. "'I gave one last slow, defiant stare, swallowed once more and hurried to home. "'I rang the Beechworth ghost tour establishment "'and made my reservations for two that very night. "'If I am to be frightened to death, I shall take my good wife Rosalind with me.' There was a new moon that night and I thanked the Lord it wasn't full as we wound our way up the long drive to La Trobe. Two bottles of Cab Sav I had consumed earlier that evening had settled my nerves considerably and was now ready for whatever should confront me on this rather cold and apprehensive night. Or so I thought. Images of Roz and I being the only two booked for the tour suddenly came to mind – As we approached the ghostly meeting place, I was relieved to see at least another twenty innocent souls now waiting patiently to be scared to death. With renewed bravado, I strutted confidently towards our host. She was a kindly woman attired in the white matron's uniform with a thick black cloak wrapped around her shoulders to repel the cold night breeze. With lanterns lit, the matronly figure seemed to float across the grounds as we followed to the waiting presence of the old asylum. I was starting to think this wasn't such a smart idea as she informed us of the asylum's morbid history before entering, but I also knew that somewhere in this building, James Kelly's ghostly hand had been at work scratching his name to an icy windowpane. As we entered the main door to the hospital and in the good name of Iron Outlaw, I purposely kept to the rear of the group to lead the way for a quick exit if unknown circumstances eventuated. The first area to be entered was the autopsy room come laboratory. Our good matron informed us that the room used to be filled with body parts stored in jars of formaldehyde to preserve them. These parts disappeared but could still be hidden somewhere in the depths of the hospital's cellar. This was not something I wanted to hear. I grabbed what I thought was my wife's hand simply to comfort her, but soon found it to be the hand of a large bearded fellow in the group who was rather shaken by my unintended advances.' I apologised and continued flashing my camera nervously in all directions as we moved cautiously through the musty hallways. Our host continued to tell us of ghostly apparitions of death, torture and other horrendous goings-on that took place there. My adrenaline by this time was running at a high when a hand from the darkness grabbed my shoulder. I screamed out like a little girl at the top of my lungs. I had thought of the Linda Blair movie dragging me off into the depths of the asylum, never to be seen again. Ready to pass out, I could just make out the voice of our matronly host telling me all was well and that we had arrived in the room where James Kelly's signature was. The good matron helped me to the window pane, and I proceeded to inspect what I had come to this place for. In the darkness, I could barely make out Jay and Kelly... But in my weakened condition, I really didn't care who the bloody hell scratched it. All I wanted was out of there and the security of my bunny lamp. The cab salve had worn off all too soon and with the effects of the matron's hand on my shoulder still embedded in my brain, my dear wife helped her zombified husband back to the car. I suppose I should have been relieved it was the year 2009 and we were leaving the Mayday Hills Asylum and not 1909 and just entering. In my present condition, I could have quite easily been locked away for the rest of my life. The next morning, after I had recovered from my nightly experiences, I checked the photos so hurriedly taken in my camera. Not a single image of a ghostly apparition, just pictures of darkened rooms filled with little round white bubbles. Oh, and not to forget James Kelly's signature scratched in the icy window pane.
3: So before I go into the history of Beechworth Asylum, which we have actually visited, I haven't. Very luckily. I haven't been to Beechworth. I've been to Arredale. Haven't you? Oh, oops. I must have been with somebody else.
2: Never mind. So, have you done Beechworth and Aridale. Just, never
3: mind. Just, we'll just. You go cow. Back. We'll
2: just go back. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not like you anymore. Just, never mind. I was looking forward to going and doing that <laughs> as newbies, both of us, but never mind. Keep going.
3: I just wanted to take a moment to tell everyone. What some of the reasons for admission to an asylum in the 1860s,
2: early 1900s, would have been? So let me guess. We both would have been admitted several times over. Oh, several (laughs) times.
3: Once we were in, we wouldn't have been let out at all. Hey, but we would have had a good time in there. Mm. So falling off a horse. What? Argues with husband. Oh, yeah, definitely would be in there. Difficult child. Mm-hmm. Kicked in the head. Mm. Unmarried mother. Barren. Oh. Religious excitement. Masturbation. <laughs> oh. Uncontrolled sexual appetite. Mm. Tuberculosis. Overwork.
2: Yeah, we suffer from that.
3: Sunstroke. I've had that. Quackery. Hmm. <laughs> Jealousy. Nah. <laughs> Snuff eating. What? Snuff eating. Oh, I like this one. Novel reading. Yeah, I'd be very guilty of that. Mm-hmm. And wearing red. <gasps>
2: oh, that's it. I'm gone for oh, life.
3: And housework on Sunday.
2: Yeah, don't. No, I don't do housework. So,
3: <laughs> wanton behavior. Can't speak English. Oh, really? Desertion by husband. Superstition hit by a wagon.
2: There you go. All right. Well, without revealing exactly what I'm in for, (laughs) I'm guilty of nine of those. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Isn't
3: that crazy? Isn't that just an awful, awful list of reasons to be put into an asylum? That's insane. It is. (laughs) It is, but it gives you a little bit of a background to the type of people that would have been in these institutions. There would have been such a mix of different ages and reasons for going in. And you only needed, I think, two signatures to get you into the asylum. To be committed. Mm. And for many men, that was quite an easy thing to appropriate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there were many, many women who were put into these asylums. Just because
2: the men were sick of them? Yeah. Oh, wow. The lack of of understanding of mental health in the the 1800s just is astounding. But then, who's to think in the 22nd century, when they look back at this century and what we've done, they're going to say the lack of understanding of mental health. Mm. Uh, I suppose we're learning from century to century. on how we can be better.
3: We are. We are. So the site of Beechworth Asylum was reserved back in 1864 following the decision a year earlier to erect two large new asylums in country Victoria. So, yes, one at Ararat, which we have been to, and the other at Beechworth. So the government contractor was Mr Abraham Lineker and he offered a tender of £80,000, which was accepted, and the work started on the 16th of December, 1865. So the final cost for all the lodges, the workshops, the sunken wall, the ha-ha wall. Oh,
2: yes, the ha-ha wall, And
3: the furniture were all... £107,982, so £20,000 over budget. Mm. So the asylum opened on October twenty fourth, 1867, and it incorporated a large farm, a vegetable garden, and extensive ornamental grounds. Yeah, I believe they grew everything they needed. They were quite self-sufficient. They were quite self-sufficient. So the 1905 Cyclopaedia of Victoria described the hospital as the only really imposing building in Beechworth. And I think when we went there, it probably wasn't very much different. Well, I wouldn't know because I didn't go with you. The article goes on to further describe the hospital and its routine. The Hospital for the Insane is built on the top of a hill and is surrounded by extensive grounds which are cultivated by the inmates themselves under the supervision of the warders. The institution is capable of accommodating between 500 and 600 inmates and besides the immense wards necessitated by so large a number, several cottages have been erected to accommodate 25 patients in each. The cottages are for the use of the old and harmless lunatics. That the, would be us. <laughs> the, the work of the institution is performed almost entirely by the patients themselves, who are taken care of by male and female warders. There is a fine concert hall adapted for theatrical or musical performances where entertainments are given at which the more harmless patients assist this hall was artistically painted and decorated by one of the wardens who also painted several sets of scenery but it was since it has since been retouched by one of the patients so there were only two categories back then if you For, were in an asylum right, yeah. you were either classified as an imbecile or an idiot Oh, nice. Yep. So the the DMV five didn't exist, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which could tell you what type you were. It was either one or the other, mm. and it was quite normal to see very young children
2: in asylums as well. I remember in one article I read the the youngest. I think there was six in the the boys' ward. Yes, six years old, something
3: ridiculous. And the like oldest that. one
2: there was twenty eight. Mm. All in the one ward. Yep.
3: So this asylum actually had a men's ward called the Bull Pit, and I'll Mm -hmm. talk about that in a minute. I've got some stories on that. So the complex continued to function as a psychiatric hospital until the late 20th century, and in 1938 the Wangaratta Ladies' Auxiliary formed. Oh, I bet they make
2: nice scones.
3: Oh, I bet they do. (laughs) I bet they've got a cookbook out. (laughs) And the community members took an active role
2: contributing to patients' comforts and interests which was nice. And look, we just have to make a little quick mention here. We've got our information today from the Palace of Broken Dreams, which is a brief history of Beechworth Asylum. And you can actually buy that from the Beechworth Asylum's website.
3: Yes. Thank you, Beechworth Asylum, for providing this beautiful book on the history. Yep. I purchased the two books, Mm -hmm. all legit. So by the 1960s, a nurse training school was established at the hospital. In 1962, the mental retardation and mental hospital sections were officially separated. In 1977, the psychiatric hospital was proclaimed and renamed as such under the Mental Health Act of 1959. In 1992, all Intellectual disability clients had been removed from the hospital and placed in other forms of accommodation. And by 1993, the psychiatric hospital had a capacity of only 130 beds. Oh. With only 20 available for acute adult patients and more than 70 for geriatric patients. The Beechworth Psychiatric Hospital was finally decommissioned in 1995 when so many similar facilities in Victoria underwent the same process. Now, La Trobe University then bought it in 1996, the whole property, for $750,000 and they continued to use sections of the facility until 2011 and then they sold it off to private owners in 2013. So
2: you've been to both of these asylums. Mm -hmm. Are they identical? Very similar. Even with the buildings that are out in the back
3: and everything? This one has loads of little buildings all over the place. Mm. The property is huge. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. I'll okay. just I'll just I'm all this.
2: excited to hear about it.
3: The new owners, two local businessmen who are passionate about ensuring the facility lives on, are leasing and selling sections to tourism operators and arts-based businesses, as well as making a few of the smaller buildings available for private purchase for residential purposes. Oh, fancy living! So,
2: can you stay there?
3: Fancy living on an asylum? Oh, I'd be happy there. There are. I do remember there is one section that we weren't allowed to go. Close to because it was privately occupied. Mm
2: -hmm. Weird, but. Oh, look who's calling things weird. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) I think we're the weirdest of them all. So let's just have a
3: quick look at some of these facilities. So the asylum grounds originally covered 200 acres. uh, And as mentioned before, most of it was for allowing the premises to be self-sufficient. So they had farming, orchards, vegetable gardens and livestock, and it was also a way of keeping the inmates occupied during the day. And learning skills too. Mm. So patients were able to work in gardens, orchards, farm, sewing room, laundry and kitchen for their keep, Later, they were paid for their labour. It was thought that working to help support themselves gave the more capable patients a sense of purpose and self-esteem. So originally, only kerosene lamps and fireplaces gave light and comfort to the occupants. There are fireplaces all through the facility, mostly unusable now. Electricity was connected in 1926. Now, there were three million handmade bricks, in the whole establishment. The timber was hand sawn and they had handcrafted nails and fasteners, which is amazing. Mm. So they had a recreational hall, which was constructed around the mid 1860s. So I've decided not to go through every single building and tell you about it. I've just chosen a few that were of interest And of course, when you go on a tour, it is just impossible to go into everything and check it out. But it is really worth doing the tour late at night because it is
2: extremely spooky. I reckon you actually should do the tour during the day as a history tour then come back and do the ghost tour at night because then you see it in a whole different yeah. perspective. We, we did do that. We did do that. Good on you. So take
3: me. I am going to start off with the Women's Maniacal Ward. So the northeast section of the female patient's wing was constructed as part of the original in the 1860s. Today this section is easily the most historically important part of the facility due to it still retaining the most original layout of any ward in the asylum. It is the only ward in which the early pink-hued wash finish to the external render remains visible. They painted everything in these Horrible pink and blues, which were supposed to be soothing. Yeah. So they've kept everything as historically. Accurate and accurate. Yeah. So they haven't changed too much, um, although you will find that it is really, in many cases, some of the areas are, are very run down, paint peeling everywhere, of course. And yeah, you, know, you can imagine a a place like that trying to be uh, continually looked after. It's just impossible. Yeah. It's impossible for ghost hunters. It's amazing because we want run yes. down places and dark places, but. I can imagine it would be an ongoing thing. So there, in, in this particular wing, there have been some alterations, but mostly everything is original, especially areas like the laundry and the boiler house. It really appears that not much has been added to it, except when a larger heating plant was installed by the engineers that made a little bit of a difference. The Northeast Women's Ward was also known as the women's maniacal ward, and that also included a laundry. And there was a sewing section in the front area on the first floor. So, oh,
2: needlework for ladies, yes, of course.
3: Yes, they they did keep them busy. I wonder whether it was a good idea giving some of these ladies needles. Mm.
2: I think they just remember some of these women were put in there because their husbands abandoned them, or they had PMT, or you know, it's they would be perfectly sane people, so they're probably quite enjoying a little bit of needlework and stabbing the needle into the material and thinking of their freaking husband. Oh, gosh.
3: Now, the ward's door contains eight original 1860 cells with four on the ground floor and four immediately above on the first floor. They are as creepy as hell because they have gouge marks oh. and teeth marks oh my God. from patients that really wanted to escape and that's still in the timber. I'm trying to eat their
2: way out. Well, if you can imagine how... I suppose if their fingers were bloody and raw, they'd go for whatever they could Yeah, use. how awful it would have been oh. in a space like
3: that. Wow. It doesn't bode well to put someone who is having a, a bit of a an episode an episode in a space that is small and enclosed. Mm. Mm. So the cells open onto the day room, but it's all still covered. It's all still covered in, which you know can also lead you to, you know, feel really enclosed and slightly claustrophobic. Mm. So I'm going to talk very quickly about the men's ward and the bull pit oh, and why pit, yeah. why it would have been called the bull pit. So the bull pit is said to have been exclusively used for younger men mm-hmm. who were in their early teens and
2: in their 20s. Oh, what a good idea to put all this testosterone-laden males into one area. Exactly. So the name ball pit
3: is supposed to come from the effect that it would have had on all of those young testosterone testosterone fuel men <laughs> all in the same proximity yep and like really in a pen yeah. so it was fighting for power and control mm-hmm. in a small space it'd be just like being in prison mm-hmm So you had them fighting each other. There were often stories told from staff of how difficult it would have been to control these men. And I could imagine if a fight broke out, it would be on for young and old. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm thinking Lord of the Flies sort of situation. Yep.
3: Yep. Now, they had one particular way that this particular book says that they tried to control them as a group, Mm. and that was to actually provide them with clothing that was too big for them. So they had to continually hold their pants up. Oh, isn't that clever? And to also dreadful, but it's clever. Yeah. And to also put laxatives in their food. Oh, no. So it meant that they were continually trying to keep their pants up and go to the toilet. <laughs> oh, that sorry. is awful. It's just dreadful. Yep. So
2: what? They, Human they kind sort
3: of, of. Yeah. They they were well, too
2: busy. All right. Let's let's look at it. But back in the eighteen hundreds, they're they're trying to do the best they have with the knowledge they have. But that's just no, that's, that's just horrific. I and mean, some of them would not, if if they were mentally incapacitated, wouldn't be able to actually get themselves to the toilet quick enough.
3: Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of wonder whether it would have been more work. Or less work. stinky work. I know the ladies in the laundry wouldn't have been happy. No. So the place also had a pharmacy. It had a tailor shop. It had a toy shop, so they made toys, Mm -hmm. wooden toys that they could sell and make some money back. Mm -hmm. They had a kiosk. They had a catering centre. They had airing yards. They had a courtyard with a lovely fountain for the females and they had gardens. And one of the things I remember is that they only had a partial wall left. So the whole place was originally surrounded by this big exterior wall yeah. that went all the way around, and they called it the haha ha Wall. The ha, ha Wall. The wa- haha the ha Wall. They had that one at Aradale too. Mm-hmm. So, of course, at Aradale it would have been the same thing. From the outside, It doesn't look very tall Mm -hmm. and you think, well, that's not going to stop them and hold them in. But on the inside it had a ditch Uh right next to the wall so that if you went down to try and climb up, you were a lot lower down than uh, you thought you were going to be and it was virtually impossible to get out. So they kind of think, well, the name might have come from half up and half down. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ha-ha. so. Or the laughing that came from people viewing the wall and knowing that there was never going to be and an ability to escape. Somebody down
2: there trying to escape and they're going, ha, ha.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So the wall was eventually demolished in 1955, but like I said, there, there is a small portion of the wall left that can be seen. So there are also a number of different lodges around that held either female patients or male patients and some other extra buildings that would have also been external clinics. Now, there's also a Morgana Chapel, the Chapel of the Resurrection, which was constructed in 1868 as the dead house oh. or mortuary for the hospital. So, hang on, it was a chapel and a morgue? Yes, yes. Well, you know, easy to have the two together. Yeah. Okay. So, the original building didn't have any windows, but it kind of looked like it had windows. So, it looked like it had external windows, but it really didn't. And the floor in both rooms sort of sloped inwards from each wall uh, so that there would be a, a drainage pit in the center of the floors. And is this for
2: the boys with the pants that keep falling oh down? Oh my or gosh. The just, or is it for the
3: bodies that were. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. It just, yeah. I think it was originally used as a mortuary and then they converted it to a chapel later on. So I don't think it had the same use at the same time.
2: It could be really awkward.
3: Mm. They had a nurse's hostel. They had a pavilion. And, of course, Beechworth Asylum was really well known throughout the area for the beautiful gardens. And you would have the asylum opened on a weekend And so the locals would actually come in and stroll through the gardens and have picnics in amongst the inmates. It was just the thing to do. What a bizarre thing to do. mm. Well, often asylums used the best area in a township or the largest area in the township. I know here in Newcastle it was the same thing where it was right up on the hill in a extremely great area. Yeah. Um, The views over
2: the ocean. mm
3: -hmm. Yep. And so they would also open up the asylum there on the weekends. You sound like you
2: were there once, Renata. (laughs) (laughs) Running tours, of course. I mean, running tours.
3: Uh, And they would have bands playing and games happening on the
2: lawns. And no doubt they would present their best patients out in the public. Of course. Of course. And everyone would walk away going, isn't this a beautiful place?
3: Oh, yes. I might so. come here for a little rest. Yes, what a lovely when place. Wait till they get
2: to my stories.
3: I'll be going, <laughs> no. So I just want to finish off with this little bit of an information about what appeared in the Ovens and Murray Advertiser in 1903 about the Beechworth Asylum. For those who would be thinking about what it might be like in there, And it says, a first-class modern lunatic asylum serves quite a variety of purposes. In the popular mind, it is merely a place for isolation and safety of the dangerous. It is this, but it is also a great hygienic hospital for the restoration of the insane to physical and mental health. It is a house of moral and physical education, a school of elementary, artistic, scientific, literally, and even religious training. Now, I don't know how many people actually left asylums in those days and
2: whether any of them would have left with any of these capabilities that this article is saying. Mm, I think they took them to the nicest parts of the asylum to have a look at. Mm.
3: It ends saying, In the building of an asylum for the insane, two supreme objects are kept steadily in view. The first of these is to make the place as little like a prison as possible. And to carefully eliminate everything in its appearance suggestive of compulsory confinement compatible with the safety of the inmates. And the second is to secure the best possible sanitary conditions. Now, we are talking about the 1900s. And as we just mentioned, some of the men were given Lots of laxatives to keep them on the run. Oh, so, so to speak. I'm not sure how <laughs> sanitary these conditions were, but this particular article says that everything from the floor to the ceiling was. Kept scrupulously clean, even to the very air itself. Hmm. So now, there
2: you go. As ghost hunters, though, we we are drawn to these places, aren't we? It's, we are. I know in America, I'm dying to get to Waverly Hills and and all those sorts of places. And people quite often will say, "Is it appropriate that we go to places where people have suffered?" The the way this the history is reading there, it, it doesn't sound. Too horrific, does it, apart from laxatives and pants that are falling down? But they wouldn't tell you what actually went on. Mm. But what's your thoughts on allowing ghost ghost inventors, ghost investigators into locations like this?
3: We can talk about the morality of of doing things like this for a really long time mm-hmm. and there will always be pros and cons. The issue is here that we have a huge site with buildings that are historically significant. Mm-hmm. There are always different reasonings for finding different uses for these buildings. Our asylum here in Newcastle has a number of different uses at this point in time none of which facilitate the ability to do tours Hmm. or anything sadly of of the public which would bring the public in although there is huge public interest in sites like this Mm -hmm. i guess you have to weigh it up you know for a small community this might be the only way that it draws attention to these places and keeps money coming through it's also an important part of
2: history It it is And we can't please everyone. No. There is definitely a group that want to go and investigate locations like this. And isn't it better to do it under a controlled situation rather than people breaking in and just going in? willy-nilly which and they, damaging. Yep, and,
3: and they would destroy the whole yeah,
2: place. Yeah, which is what's happened at the Morissette Asylum is yes. that it's just been yep. torn to shreds by people taking whatever they need. But anyway, I, I digress. Mm-hmm. We need to get onto the ghost stories, now Yeah, just, just one more, one more issue, one more thing.
3: I think we can try and over-sanitise history and go, let's not talk about that bit because it's a bit irky. Let's let's just keep that out of sight and out of mind because we shouldn't talk about things like that because, you know, we're just so much better nowadays. But if we don't keep reminding people of how things were, it's not something then that... We're not learning. Yeah. We're not learning from our mistakes of the past. Yeah. Yep. If You've put it in a way that... I've been trying to put the words together. I just can't. And well, the
2: words are hard today. We're yeah. just going to say the words are hard. No,
3: but it, it <laughs> sort of it, it takes me to that point where, like, we went to the concentration camp in Poland where my mother was for six months, or going towards the end of the war, and people would say, "Well, you know, why do you want to have a concentration camp still there and open for visitors?" From the point of view that there are people on this earth at the moment that say those concentration camps never occurred. They yes. Ha- they never happened. Fake. It was all fake. That's a Hollywood set. <laughs> and you go, no. Australia doesn't exist either. <laughs> so there are, uh, I guess, wider reasons to have these places open. So like you said, we improve. We yeah. don't make the same mistakes, we actually
2: improve. Sometimes we've got to be confronted with that horror to just realize how depraved humans were.
4: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with juvoderm voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: So I have two stories here that are the transcripts of two people that were put into the asylum, Mm -hmm. and I find it very interesting. So there's Daniel Dooley, 59, 23rd of August, 1892. Now, guys, there are some things that are said in here. Please remember I am reading the transcript, so please don't yell at me when we come to this particular part. Renata hasn't read this yet, so I'll be interested to see her reaction. I was brought by a policeman because I was silly, and I was in the habit of saying my prayers. I stayed a night out looking for a quartz reef. I valued it at a hundred pound. I've been at Denali on an unemployment pass. I brought a tent. I saw a lot of a lot of larrikins there, and they burned my tent. When I came back, I could not find the place. I met five men dressed like navvies, which are Irish workers. I spoke to them, and they did not answer. I met more, and I spoke, and they said they were ghosts. I wanted to go into a house, but they said it was haunted. I then saw the devil, like a steam engine. I saw the Blessed Virgin Mary and I spoke to her and shook her hand. She took up a tree to make shelter for me and sent Jesus Christ to obtain another for me. She lifted up the tree as easy as I can, this chair, and there was music and ejaculations of the Hail Mary. I asked for money and she had a bird in her hand and placed it on a perch. And one of the men had a purse with him, but that money I've not got yet. I told a priest and he told me to be off. Astounding. don't even know where to start with some of that. And I think I might just leave it alone because I think I could get myself into a lot of trouble. You could. You could. Uh, Here's another one. But I like that there's the the mention of the devil in there because that's going to come in a little bit later on. Mm
3: -hmm. And, yeah, like he's brought in all the heavenly bodies here. Mm -hmm, He's mm -hmm. brought in Mary
2: and Jesus Mm -hmm. and everyone. And then there's ghosts and haunted houses. yes, and and there's the devil. Yeah. We've covered the lot. Yep. Now we go on to Timothy Shannon who is 35. 20th of May, 1892. My name is Tim Shannon. I was born in County Clare. I have friends out here too in Melbourne. Pat Shannon lives in Dryden Street, South Melbourne. And the the other is Tom Shannon, a caster in Carlton. I forget the name of the street. I suppose it's three or four years since I went there. You are Dr. O'Brien. At least I've heard them call you so. I got frightened of the people outside going to kill me. I took it in my mind like that I've got these ideas in my mind I think they try to injure me but I did not see them I would like to get out but I think he could not support me if I did not work I used to take four or five pints of beer I don't sleep at night I'm frightened at somebody coming to kill me I'm not strong enough to work Poor, sad soul. Yeah, so he's got paranoia in Mm. there and there's people coming to kill him all the time. Yeah. It must be very hard to live in a a mind like that. It'd be just sheer terror all the time. So, all right, let's get on to the ghost. So, once again, I am going to be drawing on some information from a book I got from Beechworth Asylum and it's called The Haunting of Beechworth Asylum, Spirits of Broken Dreams. So their uh, website is AsylumGhostTours.com and you can find these books there if you're interested. And hopefully Victoria is going to be available
3: for all of us to go back and explore shortly. I'm sure some of these places are reopening as this particular podcast comes out. So if you are in the area, certainly the Asylum Ghost Tours of Beechworth and Aradale are amazing spots to go and investigate. So if you are a paranormal investigator or a ghost hunter,
2: make sure you visit and take the ghost tours that are available. So I'm going to start off by telling you about the most important ghost on the site as far as I'm concerned. Now, this is Matron. Of course, it has to be Matron. Of course, it has to be Matron. Now, as you know, I worked at Q Station for many years and we had a very dominating spirit there, which was Matron, Mm -hmm. and she was like caretaker for the site and watched everything that was going on. And we always used to go up and say hello to her before we'd start tours so that she was always happy. But this, the, the Matron here at this place is actually a very kindly, wonderful person, and her name was Matron Sharp. Now, when she was alive, she was fiercely protective of her patients And regardless of what they were in for, because the the asylum was used for overflow from the jail for quite some time as well, regardless of who these people were, she wanted to take care of them to the best of her ability. And for her time, she was very forward thinking. Mm -hmm. She introduced music therapy. Wow. And pet therapy. Oh, pet now, therapy. Pet therapy is a big thing. I mean, I worked in aged care for a while and both those things just bring smiles to the faces of the people in aged care. So there's unconditional love from an animal mm-hmm. and they, they don't judge people the way they look or anything. They mm-hmm. just accept pets. <laughs> <laughs> so it's said that she is still there and caring for the patients that are left behind. And she makes herself known by a comforting hand that would just appear on your shoulder, a bit like what that lady did who was dressed up as the matron Mm -hmm. and scared the poor Mm -hmm. fella to death. Now, one of the other ones that is there is a woman in white. Why is it there's always a woman in white somewhere? Fancy that. Yeah. I Uh, wonder whether they... Yeah, did they
3: just walk around in their normal clothes? They would have, wouldn't they? Or in their 90s I don't know. Or in know. their
2: nighties. <laughs> but uh, I suppose don't you, when you die, what you die in is what you wear for the rest of your eternity. <laughs> so they say. So maybe that's why there's so many dresses out there being seen. Now, they talk about also, this is from a video that I watched on YouTube, they talk about the patients being stuck there. So a lot of the entities that are still supposedly on site are patients who are stuck. And the reason why they are stuck is possibly because they don't know they're dead. Mm -hmm. If they were insane in life, they may not have had the realisation that they've died. But another one suggested that they are too fearful to run away Mm -hmm. because they're had the fear of God put into them about ever running away, so, and also it is a safe place for them.
3: Mm-hmm. If you are someone who is uh, mentally unwell and you are dealing though with things that you cannot see continually, would you even have a concept of going elsewhere? Yeah.
2: Yep, and as we said, there was people there as young as six. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's just mind blowing. So that the, the six-year-old that I refer to was the bull pit. And as you were saying, there was young males put in there. So the type of person that was put in there was those with Down syndrome, epilepsy, ADHD, autism. They would have 80 to 120 boys in that area. The normal age range was 13 to 26, but as, as young as six and as wow. old as 28, they had the overflow from the jail, mm-hmm. the, the violence that would have ensued in that area, mm. even trying to pull up their pants and with diarrhoea. Mm. There was reports of sexual assault and also the be our bitch sort of syndrome, which is very like jails. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was like. It was like a prison. So the activity that they generally get in that particular area audible voices so they can actually hear disembodied voices
3: Wow um, So I'm wondering whether they're actually listening in on conversations that are being had mm.
2: There's also taps like the, they can do the, you know, we do it at the jail sometimes we'll mm. say can you make this noise, tap tap mm-hmm. and they'll get responses like that There's also footsteps that are quite, because I imagine there would have been a lot of pacing that was going on so a lot of that footstep noise, oh, mm-hmm. I'd love to take out my ears up there and have mm. a listen Now, another area where there is actually two well-known entities is the kitchen area. And looking at the video, it was built in the 1980s, I think, so it looked like a fairly reasonably new area, but there are two entities there that are supposed to reside, and it's Carlisle and Benjamin. Now, they didn't mention much about Carlisle, but they did talk about Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Now, he's only supposed to be eight years old, and he's known to scratch people. He also does the taps and knocks, and he's been seen doing the backward arched over oh, yes. run yes. That, you, that we saw on The Exorcist the other day. Yes, so that, oh, can you imagine seeing that? And <laughs> another interesting area is Gravilia, which was the male infirmary. So that's where they had the the mental disability patients and also infectious diseases. They also did the electric shocks in there and lobotomies. In that particular place, they get a lot of emotional feeling. So people will pick up on things like anger. There's also a cellar. A cellar. I do like a cellar. And there's a a whole story there from this Luke Clifford, I think his name was, on this particular video. And he felt his arm grabbed... Um, And he felt like he got pinned to the wall and they had to actually get him out. And as they were getting him out, he was pushed on the stairs as well. And Mm -hmm. then they've got photos of the scratches. And you can see that this boy could not physically have given himself the scratches Mm -hmm. that were seen in this video. And he was there with his mum and sister. So it wasn't like they were there with a a pack of teenagers teenagers that would have been trying to scare each other. And remember in our opening story we were talking about Ned Kelly's uncle, was it? Yes. Yes. Well, apparently that ghost is known to be there as well. So he spent 15 years there after burning down his sister-in-law's house. Yeah, yeah. She must have been a bitch. (laughs) He didn't die there but he did leave madder than when he was admitted and apparently he's now returned to his old bedroom. And there uh, people who have witnessed things there, Say so they've risk- witnessed him banging on the walls, pacing up and down his room like a madman, throwing objects across the walls. And sometimes you might even hear deep, eerie laughter. <laughs> Spocky. Now, another really haunted place in the, the complex is where the young and the old patients would go for fun time. Oh, goodness. So this was the recreation hall and they had decks of cards and rocking chairs and at least two ghosts that haunt this fun house, Mm -hmm. one of which is a young girl, but she isn't seen smiling and laughing. Instead, she is seen scratching with her short nails at the concrete walls and wailing in distress. Poor thing. The other ghost there is an old man who doesn't appear to be having much fun either. Uh, he's simply seen standing at the window staring enviously at the people roaming free below him. Now, there was another story about a, a wandering man that is seen and that was by Jeff who is from the asylum, not from the asylum, but he works at the asylum, yep. I should say. Yep. One of the tour guides? One of the tour guides. Mm-hmm. So when I was sort of researching this, I was wondering if maybe this was the same one that that Jeff may have been seeing. So Jeff saw this particular person around the toy shop and he saw what appeared to be a tall gentleman wearing a full black suit, a waistcoat and a top hat. Mm hmm. So he saw the person underneath the tree and then they vanished a few seconds later. Then Jeff saw the same figure again when he was checking that everything was locked up in the women's ward because, of course, you've got to go back and check everything's locked when you've done a tour. And he appeared to give Jeff a short little bit of a nod, you know, tip of the hat. It's almost like saying, you're doing a good job, mate. But there was... Another guide that saw the same gentleman, because if one person is seeing the same thing over and over, you think, are they really seeing it or is it their imagination? But somebody else on the same night saw the same thing and this guide had just gone out for a cigarette and then Jeff heard them screaming, I know they shouldn't be having a cigarette, naughty, naughty. And they they explained to Jeff that they'd saw this man and they explained it to him what they'd seen. And it was the exact same figure that Jeff had seen without having to tell them. So that was good comparison. I like that when mm. that sort of thing happens. I just think it's freaky that you're
3: there on your own. I, I hope these tour guides are there with somebody else, because that's a big place.
2: It is. They must look they'd have a smoke area close to where their relaxation area would be, I imagine. And Jeff actually talks about another good experience that he had in the women's maniacal ward. Uh, he was going to, to lock the doors and things down there. And as he went to open the door and the way you, you op- uh, to lock the doors, you opened a bit and then pulled it shut. So as he went to actually do that that movement, he saw a hand beckoning with a single finger to come inside. Oh, oh my gosh. He slammed the door in his words and ran screaming back to the (laughs) foyer. I don't blame you, Jeff. I think Mm. I would have been hot on your heels with that one. That's like straight out of a horror movie. And there was another thing where they were setting up a display in one of the areas and he left a trolley at the bottom of the stairs and took what he needed to take up the stairs. When he was upstairs, he heard... The squeaking of the trolley. Now, we've had that happen at Q Station. I recorded it. It sounded like a trolley being wheeled around. Mm -hmm. And when he got back downstairs, the trolley had been turned around a full 180 degrees to face in the opposite direction. Wow. Now, they did look at the floor to see if there was any dips and there was Mm -hmm. a little bit of a wave, but not enough to turn the whole thing around Mm -hmm. in a 180
3: you would love to have video recording of something like that, wouldn't you?
2: Oh, yeah. There's an another entity in the kitchen. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm pulling all this from various stories from all over the place. And this one was from Scary Stories, I think it was. And this, this entity is known as Tommy Kennedy. Now, Tommy was a patient there and was offered the opportunity to work in the kitchen with some other patients, which turned out to be very bad for both of them. Putting two crazy men in a room full of knives apparently was not the best idea. <laughs> so poor old Tommy was murdered, along with his co-worker and inmate, and people have the pleasure of meeting Tommy's spirit, but they don't always see him, but rather they feel right, him. Right, right. He is known to tug at people's clothing and arms as they pass through, and uh, some even get a poke in the ribs. But the that area is also known for clashing of pots and pans. And it's quite loud, it's not just a little, and there's also screams, shouting and crying of somebody clearly in pain. Hmm. The ha ha wall. The ha wall. Yep. There's a ghost scene around there. Apparently there is a body of a ghost seen laying on the ground from a high window. And this poor woman was pushed to death after patient wanted her cigarettes. I remember that story being told mm. during a ghost tour. And there's lots of imaginary friends. There was one story I read, it was on TripAdvisor, and there was a mother that took her son in there. And during the tour, they claimed they could hear children laughing and playing. But the grounds were deserted. Her son, who had come along for the adventure, was caught talking to himself. When she asked whom he was speaking to, he replied that it was the little boy he'd met named James who said he lived at the asylum. But, of course, Mother couldn't see anybody. Yeah, try and talk about that to your child. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the one I'm going to finish up with, so we've started off with the... The beautiful energy of the matron who looks after everything. Yes. Now I'm going to go dark and evil. We're going to go and meet the devil.
3: Is she the only really nice spirit that they they talk about at at this place? That I have found. Mm. Because it seems to be that all the other ones have issues Mm. and
2: are in pain. There is is Arthur the gardener. Oh, Arthur the gardener. Arthur the gardener. He used to tend to the gardens, very dutiful gardener. He was never seen without his green jacket. And when he died, the nurses found out why. Because mm-hmm. sewn into his jacket was £140 which was the equivalent of about four years' wages. Oh, wow. So he's still roaming the grounds looking for his money, I'd say. Oh, no. Well, at least the nurses found it and hopefully they put it to good use. So let me get back to the devil. Mm-hmm. Did he come
3: playing cards? Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> We did have cards up in the rec room. <laughs> All right. Where do I start? Because I've got two, two here. Let's go over here. There are reports and claims that the devil has been seen in Beechworth. They say that from within the shadows of the dark corners, glowing red eyes seem to be looking back at them. Creepier still, they claim that they feel as if something dark and heavy is following them around and didn't leave them until after they left the building. Some say they actually feel as if the dark energy is trying to take over their body and make them physically sick with stomach pains, major stomach cramps and a sudden shooting pain through the head and dizziness. The stench of rotten flesh follows a smell that not everybody smells. Down in the basement of the hospital is where the doctors and their unknown voluntary assistants would store bodies in body bags ready for them to experiment on. It's believed that some of these bodies were down there for months before being laid to rest, and others were offered for demonic rituals and black magic in a way of thank you for their assistance. Devil worshipping and even human sacrificing was apparently held down in that basement. That's creepy. I tried research in sort of devil worshipping and everything in that town and I could find nothing. Yep. To me, that sounds like a really good story. Yep. And there's always the story of the patients being experimented on. Mm-hmm. But if nobody was claiming the bodies, then I suppose it is a way for the doctors to study and to learn. It's not always ethical. But I'm sure they were probably doing it. Mm. So, Renata.
3: Especially when doing lobotomies. I mm -hmm. mean, it's not something that you can actually practice on a human being while they're still alive. But they did.
2: They did, I know. They did. Anyway, so Beechworth, what do you reckon? Oh, that would be as haunted as all hell. But do you think it's intelligent or residual?
3: I think a lot of it is residual. Maybe there could be some intelligent... Hauntings, maybe the matron Mm -hmm. who is there looking after everyone. And we've had that experience where we seem to have one entity that seems to be in charge of everyone else and either gives them permission to interact or not. Mm. But I think those walls, if they could speak, they would tell so many stories. And sometimes, just sometimes they do speak. They do. And that's when people can actually eavesdrop on the daily life of what it would be like to be
2: bound in an asylum yeah so that brings us to the end of our episode i hope you've enjoyed beechworth i can't wait to finally get there even though someone didn't take me no bad feelings now Everyone, please, we want you all to make sure you've subscribed to this podcast and also our YouTube channel because we have got so many new things that are going to be coming up on there. So, Anne and Renata, subscribe and make sure you hit that bell to get your notifications as well. Keep following us on Anne and Renata, Frightfully Good, on Facebook, Anne and Renata on Instagram and TikTok. And just... Keep following what we're up to because there's some pretty crazy things that are oh, happening with these two awesome old gals.
3: things coming soon. Yep. Next week, shall we look
2: at Annabelle? Oh, why not? Right, it's
3: let's time for another spooky doll story. Yeah, let's
2: do Annabelle and we'll look at her and work out whether she is a true haunting or not. Mm. Thank you for joining us on True Hauntings. See you on the dark side. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Ann and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen